Good morning. Welcome, everybody. I think uh, I have. Um, I want to pray for all the people that have COVID. It seems like so many people have COVID right now, and uh, I'm just hearing stories of people, my my wife's friends, all of their, her friends that are all the homeschool moms, them and all their families have it. So let's start out. It, thankfully, it, it, everything seems to be light and it's not, it's not a heavy thing. So let's, let's be praying for that. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence here. We know that uh, there are many people who are still traveling or that are sick with COVID and we ask that you would heal their bodies, um, give their minds rest as they... Um, have the excuse at least to turn off the world for a little while. We ask that your spirit would um, minister to them as they lay there. We pray that you would draw them close to you. We pray, Father, that you would draw us close to you this morning as we hear your word and we think about what you want to say to us and we open our hearts and minds to you once again. We know that there are things that are distracting us right now. So we pray that your spirit would distract those things away from us, Father. That you would just suck everything out of this room that would seek to give us confusion or divert our attention from your face and your words. That you would just bring us right into your presence, right into your throne room. We use our imagination to think of that, Father. Of being on our knees before you being in the warmth of your presence, hearing your booming voice, and understanding how safe and how secure we are in you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, it is, uh, it's been a roller coaster for me. My, uh, you can be praying for my family. My dad, is, uh, who is usually here, uh, has been pretty sick this week too, and so we're trying to we're trying to work all that out. He's, he's an elderly guy, so he's, he's um, having some difficulties there. So be praying for my family, especially my mom dealing with that. I know Kat Sasser, your father's having surgery or had surgery? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. So be praying for Kat's parents. Just seems like a lot of that stuff going on. So let's, let's keep praying for our church and for everybody's health. Uh, turn with me to a short passage in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It's up on the screen there, uh, page 816 on your pew Bibles. And uh, keep that open on your laps as we, we look at that passage. Um, and as we start the new year, let's remember that God's grace brings salvation to everyone, giving us the ability to grow in faith and holiness. And we can uh, really, we can trust in God's grace to grow us in righteousness. Um, and, and throughout this year ahead of us, you know, it's the new year with a, with a great assurance of salvation, with great assurance of salvation, because God is the God of second chances. Every new day brings new mercies. You know, some people are quoted, I you know, there's one guy, Richard Rohr, who makes this quote, assurity is the, is the enemy of faith. Don't ever believe anybody that says that to you. You can be assured of your salvation. You can be assured that you are saved in Christ. Um, that, that is the beauty of the gospel. So um, don't believe that stuff. Anyway, Titus 2, 11 through 14 reads, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope 
the, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, right? The more you read scripture, the more you read how repetitive it is. Really, it is. How, how the gospel just comes out in everything, and it's very clear. Um, pastor Mike Howerton, another pastor, I don't even know where he's from, but he tells a story about how grace works. And uh, he recounts the time that he had received uh, a second ticket in two years for having expired car tags. And he knew it was his fault. And, uh, you know, he, so he went to the court and he told the judge, I throw myself on the mercy of the court, right? And impressed or maybe amused, I'm not sure, the judge waived the penalty, right? Just waived the whole ticket. And uh, like that judge, Mike says, God waives the penalty for all of those that throw themselves upon his mercy. And that's true. That is true. But although Mike's illustration, illustration is correct, um, the grace of God goes well beyond just paying our past debt. It really does. Many people uh, live in the wrong assumption that when they come to faith, it's like being overdrawn in their bank account. And I love this illustration. This is from the Sonship course, basically. Um, I, uh, what was his name? I forget his name. Anyway, it'll come to me in about five minutes, then I'll interrupt the sermon again. But, um, but it's like being overdrawn on your bank account. Jack Miller, thank you. Jack Miller, who wrote Sonship. He has this great illustration of the bank account. But uh, that, that we're in negative numbers, right? And that the bank just keeps charging us $35 every time we bounce another check. And we just go deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. Um, and, uh, but somebody comes along and, and they say, you know what? I'm going to pay your debt. I'm going to bring your account to zero. I'm going to zero out your balance. And you're like, woohoo, that's great. Thank you. You know, like I owed so much money, blah, blah, blah. But from that point on, we believe that we must really work to keep our account in the positive numbers. And people wrongly believe this about the gospel, right? That yes, Jesus paid my debt. He zeroed out my account. But now I must work at keeping my record clean and I must continually earn favor with him. Now, they live under that assumption that if their account gets into the negative numbers once more, then they're right back in the same predicament, right? They're trying to earn favor with God, which only creates a life of guilt and of shame and of fear of not being good enough or maybe even a fear of losing your salvation, which is something I don't think you can do. But God's grace, we know that God's grace doesn't stop at zeroing out our account. It doesn't just go that far. God actually floods our account with all the unlimited riches of the, of, of, of the Lord above, right? That's gospel truth. That is gospel truth. When we repent in Jesus, Jesus pays for our sin past, present, and future, Past, present, and future. So scripture teaches that we are adopted into and we are grafted into the family of God for eternity, forever. As Ephesians 1, 3 through 9 says, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Don't get stuck on the word predestination. Don't get stuck on all that don't worry about it just be glad for what you have right I'll continue it verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace uh, that he lavished on us listen to that language he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ so our accounts have been flooded right? We've become children of God with full rights as heirs to all the Lord's riches in the world. As Romans 8, 17 says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings uh, in order that we may also share in his glory. Love that language, right? So Christ's perfect record is imputed to us. In other words, what that means is that when God the Father looks at us in Christ, as we are in Christ, he sees the perfect record of his Son. Amen to that. He sees Jesus' record on my life. Adopted into God's family due to Christ's work on the cross, we are now heirs to the full fortune of God. Titus 3, 3 through 8 says the same and more. It says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We, live in mal- we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, he might, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, he says, so that those who have trusted in God may, have, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Now, justified means that due to Christ, we have been declared righteous in the sight of God, the Father, you know, having eternal life with him, which can never be taken away, like I said earlier, right? Amen. It can never be taken away. And the reason for this is that it's the grace and the keeping power of God that gives us our security, not ourselves, right? Salvation is affected and maintained by the grace and power of God, not by the self-effort of the Christian. And praise God for that, because I am a very imperfect man, right? So Pastor Mike is correct in one sense, uh, but the story simply doesn't go far enough, and I'm sure he knows that. So we must repent when we come to Christ, which means to turn away from our sin and turn towards Christ for salvation. Uh, 
right? But in Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we become a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. We've been washed. We've been renewed as God lavishes his grace and mercy on us. It's like that cheeseburger at Red Robin. I don't know if you've seen that commercial, right? It's like they, they're selling a cheeseburger now. It's not only this big, thick cheeseburger, but you get a vat of cheese to dip the cheeseburger into while you eat it. It's just over the top, and that's what the gospel is. It is absolutely over the top. A parallel passage would be, one of my favorites, as you might know, is, is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. And what that tells us is that number one, like Titus chapter three, it says that we are spiritually dead, that dead people don't seek God in their spiritual deadness. It's an impossibility. Dead things don't respond. Number two, we were under the control of something else in that state. And we just got to admit that, right? Some people don't like to admit that, but we always think that we're in charge of our destiny and we're in charge of our lives. You're not. You're not. You are just like everybody else in this world, right? Number three, and in that state, we lived disobedient to the life-giving ways of God. We were wired differently. We're going to talk about that in length in a couple weeks, by the way. And number four, errant desire and thought controlled our lives. And then number five, this made us object of, of God's wrath. Why so? Well, the reason being is that God is holy and sin and holiness are like oil and water. The two cannot mix. So therefore, we must be purified of our sin to stand in the presence of God. That's the reason. It's not because God is just a hateful warmonger and wants to just roll over everything. That's not the image of God that I have in my mind. Although God is allowed to do whatever he wants. That is the God in my mind. Right? But we must be purified of our sin to stand in the presence of God. And it continues in verse 4 to tell us how that happens. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can work, no, no one can boast. So this tells us that it is God's complete doing, right? It's his complete work which brings us to righteousness in Christ due to his great love. Because God is love, right? So number one, he made us alive even in our dead sinful state. That number two, that this was by his full mercy and full grace, right? That it was from him that this happened. Now let's take a moment and define what grace and mercy are because I think people uh, misdefine grace, at least, and mercy in, the, in this world right now. Um, but to be at someone's mercy means that you uh, are without defense against that person that has power over you. 
You are, you know, without defense against that person that has power over you. It's an important definition. John Locke defined it as the power to act according to discretion for the public good without the prescription of the law and sometimes even against it. So God had power, like that judge in Mike Howerton's courtroom uh, had the power to forego the the law and just wipe away the, the penalty, right? So God had the power and the right over us as creator to punish us due to our iniquity, due to our sin, but he chose to forego his divine right and forgive even when we deserved wrath. Grace is the help given to us by God because God desires us to have it, right? So it's not because of anything that we've done to earn it. A gift, it's generous, it's free, it's unexpected, it's undeserved, it's over the top. I don't see why people have such a bad image of the God of Christianity when this is true of it. Grace is when God gives gives us what we don't deserve and mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. And if anybody says they don't deserve wrath, they don't deserve death for their sin, you haven't gotten there yet. You haven't understood yourself. You are not self-aware. <laughs> I'm sorry, because we all do. Then number three, God seated us forever in the heavenly realms, our new our everlasting position with Christ in order to show his glory, right, and his kindness to all the peoples throughout history, to everyone. Um, and finally, for this, this faith may, by, by which we receive mercy and grace is even a work of God in us. Now, we might say of somebody else, oh, he's a great man of faith or she's a great woman of faith, right? As if they conjured that faith on their own, as if it was sort of a personality trait that they had bet more faith than you did or more faith than somebody else did. But Scripture teaches that we never even had faith until God gave us faith. Therefore, being good has nothing to do with obtaining salvation at all. It's all God's doing. We respond only as God enables us to respond. You think of that criminal on the cross hanging next to Jesus. That guy did nothing to, you know, whatsoever to get into heaven. But Jesus proclaimed in Luke chapter 23, today I tell you, you're going to be with me in heaven. Isaiah 64, 6 is so true when it says this. All of us have become like one who is unclean. This is a freeing statement, by the way. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. So no matter how good you've been, right, everyone needs repentance in Christ. Even your nice little old granny that's never swore in front of you and she's so sweet and she makes you cupcakes. She's broken too. And then Paul ends as Titus 3 does by saying, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this tells us when and by what means good works come into play, right? Which is after salvation after salvation being good does nothing 
to gain our position with Christ since Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've heard that a lot. Rather, God saved us for good works in order to glorify himself among the, the nations, among other peoples. Right? Therefore, neither do good works keep us in good favor with God. That's fully accomplished by Jesus' work on the cross as well. There's simply an expression of gratitude for what's been done for us in Christ. But it's important to remember that mercy and grace, uh, this mercy and grace wasn't just an overlooking of our sin. It wasn't like God came along and, you know, grabs us by the head and, you know, gave us a noogie and said, you know, oh, you, you, you know, you little rascal, I'll overlook that one. He didn't say that. That's not what it was about. Sin demands payment. It really does, and it demands a, a steep payment. It demands death. Something had to die in our place. And it was accomplished through the death penalty that was meted out on the incarnate God who you know, entered our history in the person of Jesus Christ. You've got to think about that, right? God's grace and mercy came at a great cost to himself. God the Son died in our place, overcoming the grave to open the way of salvation to anyone who would receive it so that we could be sealed for eternity with God the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the older you get, the harder it is, the harder it is to forgive, right? You get more and more tired of people. That's, it's true. It's like kind of human nature. The older we get, the more cantankerous we get. Think about all that God has put up with, and he still did this. He still did this. And the reason is that God is love. God is love. I, I don't understand that yet. I don't fully understand it. And this is why Titus 2 says God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, eager to do what is good. Eager. Am I, are you eager to do what is good? I'm not always that eager, <laughs> right? So as God calls us by grace through faith imparted to us, we live in constant gratitude that is reflective of and growing in his likeness and character. We seek always as God's children to constantly repent and constantly turn towards Christ when we find ourselves returning to sinful desires and sinful thoughts in our lives or sinful actions in our lives. Not because we have something to prove to God or to gain again and again and again, but exactly because we don't. Exactly because we don't. Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who conceal their, sin, their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. In another translation, it says he gets another chance. <laughs> right? We are constantly, constantly, constantly given second chances because our bank account is absolutely full in Christ. Constant access to new mercies and grace daily. 
So you are not the culmination of your mistakes. You're, you're, not, you're, you're holy and dearly loved children and heirs of God, God's kingdom in this world, right? The purpose of repentance in the Christian life isn't to earn favor again and again, over and over and over and over again, but rather it's to live in the freedom that we have in Christ, glorifying God with gratitude. Do I want that more and more? Do I want to live like that? That's my question. Mike gives us another illustration. He says, picture a white canvas representing your potential in life and now imagine you've thrown dark oil paint at it, splattering it with red, symbolizing your, your great selfishness, splattering it with black for your idolatry in your life, splattering it with zeal, representing your horrific style choices in the 1980s, although that's not a sin, we'll include it. And he says... You know, the paint visually communicates what our sin or our stain or our running from God looks like in our life, right? And, and we think, well, that's it. That's, that's, it's all over. Now I've made a mess of all things. Now uh, that's all I can see. Game over, right? I, there's not much I can do. But it's not. It's not. Those simply become the colors by which God takes, you know, he takes and uses those things to paint the masterpiece of our lives. He really does. Your past mistakes don't define you. But as we constantly repent and turn towards Jesus, each time they reveal God's glorious work in us. And over time, grace teaches us the best way to live. And the mistakes should become less and less and less and less as we grow up, as we grow old in the faith. I had a friend in ministry in Indonesia with me and at one point, he left the field uh, confessing that he had spent a night with a prostitute. I remember that moment. I remember being with him the week before he left for the field, and he hadn't told me anything because I think he was embarrassed. And I knew he was really off, right? And uh, he stepped away from ministry for a while, and he went to work at Repentance. He really did a good job at it, and it, it almost cost him his marriage. It, it sullied his reputation for sure for a time. Yet he stopped running from God, and he really just, he realized the, the mess he had made, and he, and he began very humbly to do what God had said, right? To, to start to move towards Repentance. And he confessed and he, he begged forgiveness and he began to live in purity um, and he pursued God as best he could and he submitted himself to his church and got a bunch of elders to you know, become a restoration team and they met together over a long course of time and they prayed together, they studied together, they had accountability, things like that, counsel. And it's been years since his confession and his wife forgave him, amazing woman, and at some point he began ministry again. And everyone that knew him felt that his story and his journey of healing would be encouraging to those of us that feel like that God doesn't reach down into our mess, right? That he can't still forgive us. God is good, and my friend is a living proof of his goodness, right? Grace is an immensely vital doctrine in Christianity, and it, it is, what is what sets us, a, us apart from all other religions, like I said last week. It's a doctrine with consequences. 
not just a lofty, like on, on a lofty theological level, but also on a very practical everyday level. It makes a difference in your life if you really understand it. Christians should confess what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of, the, all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that works within me, or with me, that was with me. Paul would agree with Dallas Willard who said, God is not against effort, he's just against earning. We can't earn our salvation, but once we are saved by his grace, we can make effort in the Christian life to glorify God even when we fall short, even when we make our mistakes. Because the believer understands the grace of God is training us. It's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So grace is both gift and teacher at the same time. In an interview with Max Licato, he said, grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. When grace happens, we receive not just a nice compliment from God, but a new heart. You know, at New Year's, everybody makes all these, you know, uh, resolutions, lose weight, save money. I'm, you know, I'm making a few myself, right? Be more present in somebody's life, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we, do we make faith resolutions? Do we really work at our faith? Strengthening our faith through grace in the coming year. Throughout Christian history, the church has practiced means of grace to grow in faithfulness and holiness, gifts that are given by God to help us to grow in grace, right? Most notably, these means of grace have included scripture and prayer, as well as the sacraments and the ordinances like baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are meaningful moments. We're going to practice one of those today. And these things serve to remind us of our position under the grace and mercy of God our Savior, don't they? They serve to give us a reminder of those things. John Wesley writes this, he says, by means of grace I understand outward signs, words, or action ordained by God and appointed for this end to be the ordinary channels by which he might convey to individuals either preventing, justifying, or sanctifying grace. I use this expression means of grace because I know none better and because it's been generally used in Christian churches for many ages. And Wesley expands on this means of grace. He, he continues, he says, the chief of these means are prayer, whether in secret or with the congregation, searching the scriptures, which implies reading and hearing and meditating on them. When's the last time you've cracked your Bible at home and meditated on the scriptures? It's, it's just a good question, right? It's not a question to make you feel guilty, but are we doing these things, these simple things, right? And, and then he goes on, and receiving the Lord's Supper, eating bread and drinking wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus, and these we believe to be ordained of God. In other words, God commanded us to do these things, right? Jesus commanded us to make this a practice, right? Uh, the, we believe these things to be ordained of God as the ordinary channels of conveying his grace to the souls of individuals. It's not just rote stuff. There's something meaningful behind these things that do something in us. They change us. They feed us spiritually. 
And he's also quick to say that all outward means, if separated from the Spirit of God, cannot profit at all. They cannot lead to any degree either to the knowledge or love of God. In other words, this has got to be done well in cahoots with God, so to speak, right? These are reminders, and they are access to what's been done for us already. Uh, so we, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to use these means to transform our hearts as we live and we go into the new year, right? We're not transformed by our great ability to read Scripture. You don't have to be some wonderful theologian or how well we listen to it preached and grab every little detail or how fervently we pray, you know, how often we pray and all that stuff or how faithfully we take communion and all those things. We are transformed by the Spirit's use of these means by God's grace and for Christ's glory, right? So as we start the new year, let's remember that God's grace brings salvation to everyone giving us the ability to grow in faith and holiness. That we can trust in God's grace to grow us in righteousness this year. That we can have assurance of salvation because God is the God of second chances. And every new day brings new mercies. For the grace of God that appears, for the, for, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Titus 2, 11 through 14. And then Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. I'll leave you there. We uh, start a new series next week called New Mercies. Uh, I should, I want to tell moms and dads, um, not next week, but the following week is going to be a PG-13 sermon. So little kids, you might want to, I, I would be fine. My kids at any age, this is just me. I would be fine having my kids in that sermon. I've worded it well, blah, blah, blah. And I don't mind telling my kids those things. I think, you know, it's better comes from me than from kids at the school. So I want the, the opportunity to direct those words and those phrases that might be challenging to kids. But I do want to warn you, PG-13 on the 16th. Um, and the reason being is that there are laws changed in Canada that have outlawed free speech on the sexual ethic, the Christian sexual ethic. And so pastors across Canada and across the United States are in solidarity preaching on biblical sexuality on the day that it goes live, that, that law. So I just want to let you know that. So uh, let me pray for us as we wrap this up. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the truth of it. Sometimes it just seems so simple. It's <laughs> just so, um, like, why? why? Why is this so simple? But it doesn't seem easy sometimes to walk it out, to live it, 
to live in the freedom of it. And we want to glorify you with our lives and our words and everything and all that we do. So we pray that you would give us the ability to do that. Just continually grow us in your likeness. And we remember how you said, for I received from, the, from uh, in, your, in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, that, is, that was a powerful moment, and it stands as a powerful moment still. And we practice it monthly, but we pray that you would bring it to mind daily. Even moment by moment, what it means to be in you. We thank you for all this, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen.